Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Song is on on The Viewpoint.
Ambuyo Sebenza, The Soil, featuring Ladysmith Black Mambazo. It's that time. The last 45 minutes, the African narrative with Songa Zamabekze on SAFM. Leading the conversation, in studio is an activist. Many would say she has fighter tendencies, especially given the fact that we've just had Advocate Dalimpo for walkout. But ladies and gentlemen, Sile Bolani, Gusisi, Umkle, and she tells me, she is a fighter indeed, but not necessarily speaking in the context of political lines. So, Sitle, good evening. Welcome to SAFM, and thank you for joining us on The African Narrative. Thank you for having me. How are you? How are you? I'm I see very, pictures very well. of you with drips in your hand. You were nearly hospitalized, then you were hospitalized, and then you I'm were alive. down. I'm alive, and I'm alive. You are kicking? <laughs> yes. Who is Sitle? Sitle is a Durban girl. Uh, originally, um, found my way to Joburg probably about maybe 21 years ago. Um, so I guess I've kind of grew up. In Are Joburg. you still a, Do- a Durban girl? No, not anymore. I see. I see. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, studied here. I studied um, PR, advertising, and brand management, um, and that's kind of just where my career has been. Um, mostly within the corporate environment. Um, and now I'm just, I'm consulting. And I happen to now be an author. You don't happen to be. <laughs> you, are. you are. I am an author. Don't dim your lights, you see, because people will do it out there. And you know all about that, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. Let's talk about your journey to being this brand, um, the, 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 this, what do you call yourself? The person who brands corporations, you're right. a brand specialist, you're a communication specialist, you're an author. Mm-hmm. How did we get there? Um, a little finer detail as to your career and its development. There are young yeah. men and women who mm-hmm. would want to do that, but perhaps are not as focused in terms mm-hmm. of what they need to do to get to where they are. I mean, look, when I was in high school, I didn't actually know what I wanted to study when I was done with high school. Um, and it's, I think one of the things that probably a lot of us as young black people go through is the lack of exposure to various careers um, in the work environment. Um, and um, so for me, it took me a while to kind of figure out what it was that I wanted to do, what my passion would be. And I found myself in communications and PR uh, because I did an internship uh, while I was in high school. So that's what I studied. Um, and I just, I guess, through my, my years of studying, I realized that I actually do have a knack for it. I realized that I am able to write. I am able to come up with strategies. And it's something that I actually find very interesting because it's both, you know, your logical thinking, but there's a creative aspect to it as well. And so that's kind of just how I, where I've built my career, um, taking it into the corporate space. I've always been in financial services, um, from insurance to uh, medical aid administration, and then finally banking. Corporate South Africa is not immune to the challenges that we see in government institutions, from structural racism in organizations and the role executives play in sustaining discriminatory practices to the emotional, psychological to the emotional and psychological trauma suffered by black professionals as a result of corporate abuse and the suppression of black talent, especially black women. How can we change the corporate culture 
as a weaponization against the black professional. More on this after this. on SAFM. 0891-104-207. We're having a conversation with Sitle Bolani, a brand communications specialist. Sitle, I read something that typifies many the experience of an African professional, Indian professional, colored professional in the workplace. And that is, and for anybody who's worked in private sector to an extent, if not to a very large extent, who falls within these demographics, particularly women at that, would quite appreciate the veracity and truth of that. The weaponization against black professionals, the suppression and corporate abuse of black talent. This is something you know a lot about. Absolutely. Before we get to the book, what is your understanding of this before we get to the experience? Take you time. get to a point um, where your exposure within the corporate environment makes you realize that the color of your skin is so deeply politicized and used as a weapon against you in the most violent way, even when you're an unwilling participant. And essentially what that then results in is it determines how far you can go within the corporate environment, how fast your trajectory can be if you even get to have one. Um, It determines whether or not you get paid what you deserve or you get paid just enough to get by if you can even get by. Um, It determines whether or not you have a voice. Um, It determines even if you do, you know, make it to executive level, do you actually get any of the organizational power to go with your big title? Um, It determines which clubs you get to be part of, where you get to influence or not influence. It has so many ramifications for us in the workplace that we only realize once we are thick in, you know, just basically being stifled in these environments. At what point, I mean, when you go into an organization, you're Mm. thoroughly excited, you land a great job Mm. in an institution that as you interface with it as a non-employee, you are convinced of its branding, its communications, of its advertising, of its marketing. You get into this organization and they would have sold you a couple of dreams at the interview phase, surely, because that's why you would take the position. It's in as much as you are being interviewed, it's also them on interview. They're on trial. They're on the pedestal. Mm. Convinced you go there. The offices look great. The salary is a wonderful one and you get shown around. I mean, the physical trappings, the aesthetics of it all are very much a resplendent sight. Mm. And then you get to work. And then every now and then, I would imagine things will start to unravel for what they truly are. That process. Narrate, Mm. please. And and of course, I'm asking for the experience for you now. I mean, when I started in corporate, straight out of varsity, very excited, um, get my first job, first time getting a salary, you know, it's this thing that we've been looking forward to all of high school to be able to make your own money. And, you know, and, and you're right, it is beautiful buildings and, you know, everybody talks about the values of the organization and its commitment to fairness and people and all of these things, all these words that get fed to us. But once you're in it, you start to realize, I know for me personally, I would look around me and start to realize that the graduates that I started with were a lot more fluid financially than I was. And I couldn't understand why, how come your money's going so far and mine really isn't? Um, and how far also, into your career is this now? This is literally right at the beginning. Yes. My very, very first job. 
um, you know, their money goes further. Um, they are in rooms that I don't have access to. Um, so and, and, and unpack that when you say access to. What so, for instance, they they go into meetings with certain people, you know, senior executives that you don't get to interface with. And yet you're all on the same level. You all have been there, for, you know, for the same amount of time. But somehow their trajectory and their access to sponsors within an organization are not them. the same as yours. Absolutely, because sponsors are critical. They're the people that, you know, bid your case for you when you're not in the room. They're the people that influence how an organization manages you as the talent. Um, and they would have those things. And I never had any of those things. Um, and Were then, you the only one when you noticed this? Yes, I was the only black graduate as part of that intake that year um, within my specific team. How many people are we talking about here? Um, gosh, um, 10, probably 20? about 10. 10, I yeah, see. Probably about 10. Um, and then in the second year, um, I got a promotion and now it became a different kind of battle because I had a white line manager who had started off in the organization as a PA or a secretary and had somehow managed to now become a very senior marketing person. And here I'm coming as a marketing communications graduate coming in to report into her. And I was al I've always been very passionate about my work. I've always had a very focused work ethic. And I always look beyond just my job, you know? Yes. Um, and so as I try to get into the role and get more responsibility and get more involved and learn more from her and I guess take some work from her because essentially that's why I'm reporting into her, there started being this resistance between the two of us. You know, she just didn't want to, to, to give me any responsibilities. She didn't want me to, you know, really grow and develop in that role. Um, so that was very, very difficult for me. And I didn't get any support from HR or from, you know, senior executive within our department. And that was my first, I guess, real experience of corporate politics without necessarily understanding what it was at the time. So the biggest, I guess, experience for me as far as understanding how the color of my skin is politicized in the work environment was at my last job, which is the result of, which I guess resulted in the book. Hang on to that. <laughs> what are your struggles as a black professional in the workplace? What are your struggles as a white professional in the workplace? What are your struggles as a male in the workplace? What are your struggles as a female in the workplace? We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. It's time to go to Evangeline. Hey kids, come closer. We don't want to make the other channels jealous, but have you heard? SABC3 brings you more kids' programs every afternoon from 3 to 4.30 p.m. A whole 30 minutes extra. All our Hectic on 3 fans take note that Hectic on 3 will start at 4 p.m. every day from the 1st of April. Tell your friends and tune in to SABC3 every weekday afternoon from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Point 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head.
Songa Zomabete on SAFM leading the conversation. This is The Viewpoint, but specifically this is The African Narrative on Twitter. Hashtag African Narrative. Send us your thoughts about being a white professional, about being a black professional, about being a male professional, about being a female professional. In the workplace, what are the structural challenges that you face that you know are far, not necessarily bigger than you, but these are institutions, these are cultures, these are statues in the workplace. We are sitting and having a conversation with Sitle Bolani, who has written a book, and she's going to tell us more about that in a minute. Now, Sisitle, hmm. you are in this organization, and reality sinks in pretty quickly. Yeah. You are the 10% of the people who's there, well, you're the only one, and the other nine of your fellow graduates hmm. are moving in spaces and therefore in ways that you don't move and talking to people to whom by virtue of being a graduate, you're still idolized because, I mean, they're just way too removed from you and your level as a graduate for you to in any event be interfacing. Yeah. And then you realize, actually, it shouldn't be like that. And it isn't like that because your contemporaries, in the truest sense, who came on the same day as you started, who I'm going to take a chance and say who are getting paid the same as you're getting paid. Well, <laughs> at least that's the theory of it mm. all. Suddenly move differently. And, 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 and with time, even when you are together now as a graduate trainee cohort, the kinds of things they are saying and about the work it is that they are doing, suddenly you feel a detachment of kind mm. because you're not seeing things that they are seeing. You're not talking to the people that they are talking about. And as a result, your limitations or you are limited by the fact that your movements are restricted. And then you get a promotion through the work ethic that you talked about. Yes, I see you nodding, so you agree with me. Mm-hmm. And then you are reporting to somebody who, by most assessments, you shouldn't be reporting to. And again, as you had said and alluded to, you start feeling a tension of a different kind. So Mm. this tension is there. It just keeps metamorphosing in a way. It it, it morphs. It's this and then it's that. But the message is the same. There's an assault against Usisha here. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And now what? Now what happens? The, I mean, Akubila Mans, mm-hmm. right? Ayabila, Ayabila, Umpunga, Upume, and then the water droplets seep through. Right. At some point, the lid is going to pop. Mm. What's happening now? It got pretty bad between my line manager and I. Um, HR got involved because I was, my case was always, I'm trying to learn and grow and develop in this role, and this person is not allowing me to do that. Um, and HR failed me. Um, they were not able to, you know, ensure that we're able to resolve the issue. You know, they weren't particularly supportive either, um, and neither was our group executive for our department. So I really was a sole ranger in that department with nobody to turn to or to talk to at any point or to support me or advise me. You know, um, because as somebody who's new to the workplace, you assume that there'll be people at work who are there to help, kind of help you find your feet and help you to navigate, you know, these very murky waters that are very prominent in the workplace. Let me ask a question. I mean, it would be disingenuous not to ask this question. Mm-hmm. There is a sentiment from captains of industry, right. rightly or wrongly, or business people or those in leadership and we know their race, we know their color, we know everything about their gender mm. who might have this perception. We, this is the literature that I know exists in the workplace. Mm-hmm. We bring them on board, them being people who look like me and you, mm-hmm. 
and we give them the tools to self-actualize and they don't use these opportunities. For instance, what's stopping Usitle from approaching me when she can see A, B, and C are approaching me and moving in the spaces that I'm moving in with them? Why then does Sitle not get a cue from that? Why does Sitle not send me a message? I mean, we tell them we have an open-door policy. We tell them, even when we meet in the cafeteria, join me for lunch. Why can't Sitle just not do the things that she feels she's not allowed to do? Mm. Because nobody would have told you you can't speak to so-and-so. Nobody would have told you you can't send them an SMS. Mm. So when your colleagues were moving in a certain way, why were you not doing that? I think this is probably one of the key things about what happens to black professionals in the workplace. Because a lot of the negative experiences that we have are the very things that are so difficult to explain or to detail. Because you know when you're being excluded. You might not be able to necessarily verbalize it, but you know when you're not being invited to particular meetings. You know when you try to speak to people and you keep being sent from pillar to post and nobody actually wants to resolve the matter. You know when you go to an executive and they go, oh, sorry, you've got to follow process. I can't help you. Go back to your boss and try and resolve it with them. And yet this is the person that I have so much friction with. How do you keep sending me back to that person? Um So you see that there's generally a lack of appetite to ensure that the work environment is suitable and, you know, I suppose pleasant, using that lightly, for all parties that are involved. You get to see that there are certain people that are more protected than you are in the workplace. So your um, ability to be in a, a, a healthy work environment is not necessarily as much of a priority as it is for somebody else. And you can see that in the various nuances within the workplace. And the nuances, all right. Let's hear those that come from Kwaduguza in Khrodville. Hello, Langa. Gunjani. I'm good in you, sir. Fine, thank you, sir. Sitle Bolani is listening. Yes, sir. My story is a bit different, uh, but it's similar, no different. Um, I'm a lifeguard. Uh, I work at the beach. So just imagine all the white people coming down at the beach and then they ask you for a manager at the beach or someone who's on top and then they put this black guy with... with, with, with. Langa, sorry. Langa, we are struggling with your line. I'm just going to ask that you move to a more quieter spot or to where there's less friction with the airways. In the meantime, while you do that, let's listen to some two voice notes for Sisitle. Good evening, Songezo, and uh, the very lovely Sise Bolani. Look, guys, I think for a young black woman, and I've even spoken to Sise about this sometime, it's always the question of, because you know how we have this notion of respect. When you go to work, you find that with colleagues, people are overusing this whole notion of respect, right? Because remember when we're at work, if you are 10 years older than me or not, there has to be the mutual respect that's, you know, understood and observed. But it would seem as though when you're being constructive about some of the things that it's deemed as though you're disrespectful. And then that way it makes that whole working experience really, really hard. Hi, I'm Colin from Pete Peter Maritzburg. I have an issue with race uh, in the workplace. Uh, I'm Indian, but I can't get a job because I'm not black enough. 
So, Sisle, uh, I want to say that, you know, you can buy your qualification. You can have all the qualification you need, but if you don't have working experience, you're going to battle. Thank you. This last caller really talks about the nuances in terms of the assault on black professionals. And when we talk about assault for black professionals, most often people would think it's a white assault on black professionals. He has an experience from Peter Marisburg saying he's Indian and he feels as though the assault on his body, on his person, on his integrity, on his self-actualization is coming from the African community. Hmm. Nuances. Talk about nuances in the organization. Oh, gosh. Um... So obviously there is the, what level of black are you, right? Are you black, black, or are you colored black, or are you Indian black? And there's levels to all of that, um, which obviously has its own issues within the work environment. There's the issue around black women not being allowed to function as normal human beings. So we can't have emotions. We can't feel strongly about anything because we're going to be labeled the angry black woman. We're going to be told we're too aggressive. Uh, If you're not a big smiler and laugher in the office, you're unfriendly and unapproachable. Assimilation. I think what you're talking about now is assimilation. The whole Um, notion that you have to move a certain way and sound a certain way. You have to be their mirror because that's the only way that they feel comfortable. So don't be yourself. Be who we tell you to be so that we feel comfortable around you. And the first assault of that is let's speak English when we are together. Exactly. Right. So? But then you can be sent an email in Afrikaans and be forwarded an email trail in Afrikaans and be told, oh, please action this. And you're like, Excuse and when me? you do <laughs> speak that language that they ordinarily wouldn't perhaps anticipate you to speak. Mm. What does it do for brownie points and your trajectory and your PR in the organization? I mean, it, it does have its benefits. I mean, you spoke about clubs, and I can, just by virtue of being a male, mm. I, I think relative to your experience, I, as a male, would probably fare better. In other words, I wouldn't be as treated as you might have been because you sort of have levels of this assault. Yeah. And you say specifically black women are probably the ones who are going to be assaulted. And mm-hmm. as an African male, I think to the extent that I can speak the language mm-hmm. and I have an interest in a particular sport, mm-hmm. depending on the organizational culture that is there. Mm-hmm. But you know the thing that typically a Model C school can teach you? Yeah. The ability to assimilate. And I think most of us who go to Model C schools know exactly what that is. My experience would probably be different to that of yours. But even then, there's always a ceiling that one has to reach. Absolutely. I feel that black women are always at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom um, when it comes to most environments. Um, You know, we talk about white privilege, you know, and then you have white privilege in terms of male and female, and then you have black male privilege, and then at the end of that you have black women. Um, So there's always definitely a challenge, and there's always... Definitely women, black women always have to kind of go above and beyond, you know, Um, and in the book, I specifically mention that there's this notion that we have to be excellenter, you know, we can't just be good. We can't just be excellent. We have to be stronger, you know, we have to be superhuman and not human. We have to be tolerant beyond anything that anybody else would tolerate just to be able to keep our tiny little space. 
We are so tired of this victim mentality, so boring. You look for these difficulties. Make good material for a book, eh? Try being a BE victim too. That's one SMS. Sink or swim, you are in the shark tank. Mike says, corporates are in the business of making money, not interested in pushy, but in added value and will bend over backwards to retain it. Your responses to those? I don't think you're hearing that for the first time. Definitely not. I can probably also guess who would send, especially the first two. No names. No, but yeah, um, I can, yeah, <laughs> because that you get that type of rhetoric from certain demographics. Being? Uh, generally, white people will tell you, "Oh, you guys are just whining." Everybody is because there's always a, a a disconnect in terms of black of white people ever being able to understand the plight of black people. Why is our that experiences so? are so different, and they're privileged. They're so ensconced in their own privilege that they can't imagine the depth of what we actually experience, and they don't. They don't need to. Because they don't have to step out of their comfort zones to ever feel what we feel. You know, there's Jane, I can't remember her surname now, who's a race uh, specialist in the U.S. And she once did an experiment in a room full of white people. And she said to them, if you would be okay to be treated the way that black people are treated, raise your hand. Not a single white person raised their hand. So they know. They do know. But we must continue to act like it doesn't exist uh, because that's how you maintain the status quo. And that's how institutionalized racism continues to thrive in this country and across the world. Harriet Tubman says, drawing on the inspiration from the U.S., I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. What were your experiences with your fellow black professionals in the organization? Oh, it was so disappointing. You know, when I was going through uh, my issues with my boss when, you know, when I was being incredibly abused within the workplace, my first port of call was to reach out to senior black executives to say to them, this is what's happening in this space. This is what our challenges are, not just for myself, but my, you know, including some of the challenges faced by my black colleagues who had shared their experiences with me. And I'd say to them, you know, we need a way forward. What do we do about this? Because we can't continue working in this environment. People were getting sick. People were getting checked into mental institutions. And you were one of them. I was checked into a hospital because I was having chest pains. Um, so had I had, had to be rushed. Before? No, I had to be rushed to emergency room. And I was actually told that I was at a risk of a heart attack and I needed to actually just stop it. I needed to slow down. I needed to, you know, l- lessen my load. Mentally, what did they do? do for you? I mean, what was the first thought when you were told you are on a collision course for a heart attack? I think it was like 11 p.m. And I remember when the doctor walked in to tell me because uh, they had done all the tests. I was lying there on a drip. I was on my phone still doing emails. In hospital? In hospital. But why would you take your phone there? Why would you be answering emails? I was heading up media relations for this bank I was a team of one looking after 15 business units and they had refused to give me support staff no matter how many times I'm motivated, no matter how many times I requested it. I had nobody to assist me. And when I realized the assault that, you know, my boss and all her people had, you know, launched on me, you you go into fight mode, right? So what automatically happens is I cannot drop a single ball, not for a second. Selo, you are in Mokopane. What have you to say about all of this that you hear? Look, 
you know, this issue is um, heartbreaking, and I do think it's not going to go away. It was still going to continue. Look, I I had an altercation with this old man once, I think, two years back. Um, he was white. He thought that he, he can dictate what I should do and what I should not do. And the fact that this um, some of white people, when you work with them, they think you're working for them. That's the mentality that they need to get out of their non-physical head. And I did tell this world that, like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not working for you. We are working together. And I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to do my work. And after work, I drove back to where I stay. So I don't, I'm not going to tolerate your nonsense. Um... One thing that I can tell people is that don't take nonsense of any person. It's either white, black, Indian, colored, or what nonsense that we may call. Thank Just you, Selo. Stand up for yourself and then tell the people that you are not going to take the nonsense. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That Thank was Selo in Mokopane. Very quickly, KGM, thank you for joining us. Your thoughts very quickly. Good evening to, to both of you and to the listeners. Yes, yes. White people or abusers in general of working conditions are not going to stop until you tell them, until you make sure you ensure that you stop it yourself. The notion of being apologetic and too patriotically blind does not take us anywhere other than hating us beyond hate itself. I don't have an experience of working with whites, but I have an experience of employing them. I've come to realize that when they know, Cecilia likes that. She's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> when they know that uh, you are the one who decides which side of their bread to be battered, they have the ability, sort of naturally, they have a natural ability of making you feel, look, and believe that they are, you are more important than them. But when they are not there, when you are not with them, they surely know their color. Sure. Thank you so much, KGM, in Port St. John's and Lost Caller from Vanderbilt Park, Mr. Mlambo. Quickly, sir. Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, this thing is happen- happening in the work environment. You find, okay, right, what they do is they bring their own people. You come and teach them. When you teach them, then they'll be on top of you, forgetting that you went to the college, you went to training uh, centers, and you were an artist, and you went to the university. But the person whom you come and train, and because of the color, then after a few years, he's on top of you. He knows nothing, but because, or, I mean, I don't have to talk of color. So this is happening everywhere. And you will be just stay, 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 sit, sitting where you are. When you talk to them, just say, okay, this person, it's me who trained it. Now, it's, it seems as if it's him who wants to give instruction to you. So this is happening in the work environment. Yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Mlambo. Sitla, you know a lot about this. I mean, these are some of the things that you touched on earlier on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You see people getting promoted who do not have the capacity to handle the types of positions that they get. Um, but they're able to, you know, be the line managers for experienced black professionals who would be so crucial in that role. We are the ones we need. 
Yep. So all of this now, I mean, a lot of the callers, relatively speaking, are congruent with mm. what you are saying. Mm. They understand, albeit nuanced to their respective experiences, and you've touched a lot about these experiences. You still didn't have to write a book, or did you? I absolutely did. And you wrote the book? I absolutely did. You relived that experience again as you were writing the book. I did. Tell us about the journey. Gosh, it was difficult. So when I when I left my last job at the bank, um, a, a close family uh, friend um, had said to me, you know, just to help you deal with the emotions, maybe just write and just let it out and use that as your therapy. So that kind of is how it started. But I had never had intentions of actually writing an entire book and publishing it or anything like that. It wasn't until last year when the whole Ashwin Willemse situation uh-huh. happened. Sport, yes. yes. So I'd seen, I'd seen, you know, people talking about it on Twitter. And it sounded too familiar. And I was just like, I'm not even going to engage. I'm going to log off Twitter because this is going to trigger me. And I'm not trying to catch a case, right? So, but then I woke up on mon- on the on the Sunday morning, and I saw the black conversation about it versus the white conversation about it, and I just got so angry. Don't get angry. Here. So uh, no, Please. <laughs> that was last year. Yeah. So I realized that actually this is a big issue, and we don't we do, we don't talk about it enough. You know, it's too hushed. We talk about it behind closed doors, but it's an issue that affects all of us. We're sick, we're struggling, we're falling apart, but all of us are trying to put on a brave face all the time. So I was just like, you know what? I actually have to write this book. I have to do something about it. I have to give us a voice. In 30 seconds, how do you feel now that you've done that? What has the response been like? It's been amazing. Uh, people are, it's, it's resonating with so many people. Uh, a lot of people are seeing their own stories in this, seeing that it's all too familiar. And that for me is bittersweet because it's great that people can resonate, but it's also heartbreaking that so many of us are going through this. Well, Lisa says we're loving this conversation. The reality is this. Most workplaces in South Africa are not created for blacks. The institutions are white by their very nature. Respectability politics are also factor in for black people. We've been in conversation with Ms. Sihle Bolani, who is the author of We Are the Ones We Need, The War on Black Professionals in Corporate South Africa. And she has given us the best part of 44 minutes, giving us her experience. In white corporate South Africa, she says, but over and above all of that, she has started her own thing. Talk about your organization literally in 10 seconds. We don't have time. Um, I consult in communications, um, employee relations, and all of that good stuff around marketing an organization. But also I've started an NPO called Working While Black, which is to drive this particular agenda. Contact details? I am on Twitter at Ms. Sihle Bolani, Ms. Sihle Bolani, and on Instagram at Sihle Bolani. And folks, with that, that's the African narrative. That's the show for this evening. My name is Song Azamabeka. Thank you so much for joining us. That was also Mr. Klebolani, and we wish her well in adventures. Be strong, stay strong.